Hi, this is Ann Cavera with Episode 5 of Speeding Past 80. What are we doing here? I was cleaning out some old files when I came across a folder labeled Notes from the Floor. Years ago, during the days of Desert Storm, I taught a room full of 7th graders. Well, being 7th graders, they passed notes, and at the end of the day, I'd find a note or two they'd left on the floor. I told them any notes left in my class belong to me. I collected them and saved them in this folder. Those notes gave me a glimpse into what was going on in their hearts and minds on any given day. Reading through this folder puts me back in that classroom in a room full of adolescent energy and angst. One note says simply, The Life of Slaves, and Slaves is written all in capital letters. Another note is a small threat. If you ever want to see your workbook again, meet me at 3 p.m. tonight. There are desperate pleas for homework answers and speculation about basketball player Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Many of the notes fret over friendships and reflect the adolescent struggle to find a place in a volatile teenage world. Some of my kids had close family members headed for Desert Storm. Their lost notes reflect a profound sense of dread. I first read through this folder at the end of that school year while I watched a PBS program called War Letters. Against a backdrop of war footage, a narrator read aloud letters sent home from soldiers in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World Wars I and II, the Korean War, and Vietnam. Though the letters spanned more than 200 years, they all sounded about the same. Young soldiers caught in deadly conflicts longed for warm, dry beds and the simple pleasure of hot food shared with family and friends. They were weary of fighting, destruction, and death. Often a letter writer promised to be home soon, a promise many of them would never be able to keep. For some, those letters were their last words home. Supposedly, an ancient curse said, May you live in interesting times. So here we are, in the early years of the 21st century. The road ahead looks like a minefield. The planet appears to be falling apart, while humanity, mentally and emotionally, is unraveling. Have we learned nothing? We've forgotten that from the year 1900 to 2000, we survived World Wars I and II, along with the first flu pandemic and the Holocaust. Every decade of the last century, smaller wars erupted around the globe. Less than 25 years ago, we left that bloody century behind, and we still don't get it. Each of us is someone's mother, father, sister, brother, or child, each of us is absolutely priceless, and not a single one of us can be replaced. When we pause to catch our breath, we find those of us born before 1950 are standing in a unique place in history. It's been a thousand years since a generation like ours stood 
with half a century of memory alive within them when they cross the threshold of a new millennium. We are the link between lessons learned in the bloodiest century and a younger generation, struggling now to literally save the world. A thousand years ago, the few who did survive until they were 80 were considered ancient. The difference between that millennium-straddling generation and ours is that we still have a chance to share what we've learned. Scratch the surface of any of us and you'll still find a flower child from the 60s or even here and there a World War II veteran. Sure, we're camouflaged in these dilapidated bodies. So looking at us, no one would guess we are the survivors of the most interesting times. We once had friends who either fought in Vietnam or protested against the war. As Peace Corps volunteers, we marched off believing friendship would bring peace and unite the world. The flower children of the 60s got some things right. War really is dangerous to children and other living things. Well, somewhere between singing We Shall Overcome and watching Neil Armstrong leave footprints on the moon, we cut our hair, packed away our tie-dye, and disappeared into the jungles of parenthood. The question is, are we still who we once were? Do we still carry our spark? Now that the kids are grown and gone, is it safe for us to climb out of our recliners and do whatever we still can to breathe new life into our dreams of peace? I have a guilty pleasure. Every couple of years, I read a book with one of those accounts of a near-death experience. I neither believe nor disbelieve the accounts. I enjoy them the same way I enjoy travel brochures. I like them because they paint a beautiful picture of a world beyond this one, and I'd like to go there someday. I do believe we are accountable for the life we've been given, and I also believe life holds far more possibilities than we can begin to imagine. The book I read last week is called Heaven, an Unexpected Journey by Jim Woodford. I paraphrased a few lines from the end of the book. Woodford writes, In a conversation with an angel, I said, I wake up in the morning and see the news of the carnage the night before. There's so much hatred and killing going on. Why hasn't God come back and claimed the earth as he promised? The angel looked at me with a quizzical smile and replied, God isn't finished with earth yet. I said, how can he not be finished? Doesn't he see what happens every day in that mess down there? Why wouldn't God fix it? The angel raised his hand to calm me down, and he said, James, what humans fail to realize are the countless acts of kindness that occur every second of every hour of every earth day. If you took all the countless billions of acts of kindness, helping the sick, caring for the elderly, loving your sister, loving your brother, it would be overwhelming. Then, if you took all the evil in the world that you think is so dominant, it is this big. He made a gesture, pinching his thumb and index finger close together to show that in proportion, evil is small. Woodford writes, 
When we realize we carry the light of God in us, there's no more need to live to accumulate things. We're no longer self-absorbed people struggling to impress others. We are loved by God, and that is impressive enough. When we grasp that we are so loved, we can walk in the same simple humility on earth as Jesus. Three short years were more than enough for Christ to change the world. The message for those of us with only a few years left may be that it doesn't take much time for a truly focused person to make a difference. This week, many of us will begin observing Lent, a period of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We can renew our efforts to do good things while remembering too many people are already living in a never-ending Lent of hunger, danger, and illness. Instead of sliding softly through the early years of this critical moment in history, what if we fanned our spark into a flame and found thousands of small ways to fight against the darkness? I read a book called Healing Our Divides by Brian Elaine. He collected essays by many who are working to bring people together. In one of the essays called It Begins with Humility, Contributor Shane Claiborne writes of a group called Preemptive Love that began in Iraq. They performed surgeries on Iraqi children regardless of who their parents were. Their motto is, Love now, ask questions later. When they saved the life of a child of a radicalized extremist, they saw walls crumble. If you'd like to read more from Healing Our Divides, it's available on Amazon and a Facebook page called How to Heal Our Divides continues the conversation. Today, the kids that left notes on my classroom floor have children of their own serving in the military. It's their turn now to write letters home. No doubt their letters, too, will echo the longing for simple things in life, a warm, dry bed, enough to eat, and someone to love who will love them back. This is Ann Cavera with stories of faith, hope, love, and laughter from the second half of life. My husband Jim and I have a book, too. It's called Grounded in God, available from Ligori Press and Amazon. Thanks for listening.